An end of an era at Syracuse as coach Jim Beheim calls it a career after losing to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament. Where does he rank among the all-time greats? Speaking of which, are Patrick Ewing's days at Georgetown numbered after they were bounced out of the Big East tourney last night? Did you hear that gasp? That sound came out of Phoenix as Kevin Durant will go for an MRI after injuring his ankle in warm-ups last night. A big matchup in the NHL as the league's best player goes up against the league's best team. The saga of Lamar Jackson and the Ravens continues as they offered a non-exclusive franchise tag on their quarterback. Why the Ravens' front office is the one to blame for letting it get this far. Let's take a trip through the sports universe together as I lead us into the weekend. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, inching that much closer to longer days and maybe not so much warmer days, depending on what part of the country or even the world that you live in. But daylight savings is on the horizon, which could also be said for the start of another action-packed, fast-paced sports podcast party to close out the week as this. Is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back as we get closer to the Ides of March, as we get closer to the weekend, Selection Sunday, the tournament, which is now a week away. Yes, I understand it's five days away with the first four. But now, as we're in the middle of conference championship week, And not a lot to be said as far as some of these games or any upsets or things that would really be on our radar to discuss at this moment. And I did mention that on Monday that we're probably not going to find out a lot as far as what teams are going to be able to do or what they're going to achieve at this point. Because a lot of the drama, a lot of the circumstances with teams on the bubble aren't going to take place until whether it be tonight, tomorrow, and obviously once we get into Saturday and Sunday. But one thing for sure that we could certainly put to rest is the career of a one Jim Beheim at Syracuse. The longtime coach called it a career after the loss yesterday to Wake Forest. And did he stay a little bit too long? Was it a scenario where he's been such an institution there, a guy that 
going back to 1976 that covered almost five decades. Or when you think about it, it is five because 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the 10s, and here in the 20s, or even six decades. When you think about it, 47 years total. And the only thing I could say when I see Beheim in the press conference talking about, well, it's up to the university that he pretty much left his retirement speech over the weekend when they played out the regular season. And was it a shock that it's come to this? Was it a surprise that Bayheim thought that this was going to be his way to exit stage right? I understand with not a lot of fanfare. I get it. It wasn't like Coach K last year who made it all the way to the Final Four. And not to compare Coach K to Jim Bayheim, but we know that Bayheim was a guy, when you talk about coaches who have been part of a school, a university for so long, you think about Coach K. You think about Dean Smith going way back. And then Roy Williams after that. You think about Jim Calhoun at UConn. Even to a certain extent, Bobby Knight, I understand Indiana in the 70s and 80s, and then later on Texas Tech. But you think about those guys. Coaches that have been around for so long that when you look at the lay of the land, the only guy that's left standing pretty much from that group, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple of others, Lute Olson also comes to mind, the only one that's pretty much left from those coaches going back to the, even the 70s, but in particular the 80s, is Rick Pitino. You don't have another guy that's had the body of work, that's had the long resume, that's been around for 40 plus years, and with Patino pretty much that last guy, and I understand he hasn't been at the one school for so long. We know Patino has bounced around everywhere from Providence to Kentucky to Louisville, Iona, and with a lot of scandal in between. Whereas with Bayheim, Coach K, I know Roy Williams was also at Kansas, but you lump Kansas and North Carolina. He's always been a Carolina guy, tried and true. I can't even say Bill Self, despite the fact that he's been in Kansas for quite a bit of years now. But Bayheim, with him leaving, does leave the torch for that coach for 40-plus years left to Rick Pitino. Because then after that, you have a bunch of young guys. After that, you have some mainstays in the middle, guys who have been at their institutions for, let's say, going back to the 90s or maybe even to the early part of the century. But now... It's down to the final one. And with Bayheim leaving and with everything that he has been able to sustain throughout those 47 years, all the final four appearances, the three title games culminating with the 2003 victory over Kansas with Carmelo Anthony at the helm, over a thousand victories to boot, a stellar and sparkling resume and career. And even though it didn't end in a victory or even in an NCAA tournament appearance, which I'm sure does not sit well with Bayheim. He's a prideful guy. We know the type of coach he is, fierce, competitor, and the time has come. When you know that the game, I don't want to say the game has passed him by, but obviously the rules are a lot different than what it once was going back three, four decades ago. Where you're not going to have a guy on your team for just a year, a la Carmelo Anthony. Long gone are the days of when you have a guy for three, four years, a la Derek Coleman, 
Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cycli, Pearl Washington. I could go through a whole list of players back in the 80s and 90s that he had a big amount of success. I think about the 87 final with those aforementioned players. I think about even 96 when he had John Wallace, who was pretty much the only stud on his team that went all the way to a final against a loaded Kentucky team. There goes Rick Pitino. And even in this last run here to where his biggest success was that 2016 year when he was a 10 seed and went all the way to the final four and lost to North Carolina. And that was pretty much the last, I'm not even going to say great team because that was led by Malachi Richardson. That wasn't a great Syracuse team, obviously evidenced by them being a 10 seed. But over the years, whether it was Michael Carter-Williams, whether it was Fab Mello, Malachi Richardson, he didn't have great players. He didn't have the same recruitment that he did going back into the 80s, 90s, and in that era. We know that a lot of the players that are going to play in a one-and-done scenario, they're going to Kansas. They're going to Kentucky. They're going to North Carolina. They're going to Duke. Maybe they're going to UCLA. And certainly not in the time from, let's say, 2005 to 2020. Even though UCLA made it to the Final Four where they lost to Gonzaga. What was it, a couple years ago? So when you have a guy that's maybe stayed a little bit too long, that yes, we understand that he is Syracuse basketball. And now that it comes to this point to where he gets bounced out of the tournament early, And now he's going to have to step up to the mic for one last time to say, this is it. I'm calling it a career. With very little fanfare, very little hype. Obviously the antithesis of what we saw last year with Coach K. And them making their deep run into the tournament. And it's a little bit sad because you wish he could have went out on a higher note. Even if he made it into the tournament and lost in the first round, at least he would have got there. Where this time around, that is it. Syracuse basketball is done for 2022-2023, and now Adrian Autry is going to take over the helm, his former player going way back. And let's see what happens there as Syracuse tries to pick up the pieces and see what they could build there post-Jim Beheim. Now, is he an all-time great coach? Of course, the record's going to say that. He ranks amongst the tops in the sport. And I understand he has a Stellar resume. He doesn't belong in the group of Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, John Wooden. Of course not. He's in that Tom Izzo, even Rick Pitino. Because Pitino did win the one title, but he did take three teams to Final Fours, going back to the days of Providence and Billy Donovan. Obviously, Kentucky winning a title. Louisville, 2013. Michigan comes to mind. And... It's a scenario where he does belong in that pantheon, but he's not in the rarefied air of those guys that have won at least three titles. Jim Calhoun is another one you got to throw in there. A guy like even Jay Wright, who won two titles at Villanova. And Jay Wright, when you think about it, he doesn't have the extensive body of work that Bayheim does, but maybe he's a smidge better based on what he was able to do 
with those teams and that 2016 to 2018 era and how he was able to get two championships. Mind you, Chris Jenkins with that last second three at the end, which helped win one of those titles, and that was his first one. But Bayheim is a rung below those all-time greats. Or maybe if you want to say immortal coaches. Because those guys, Coach K and Wooden and even Bobby Knight, those are not only all-timers, but those are immortals. Where Bayheim, to me, is a rung below that. And that's not a knock. That's not to say that he can't coach with those guys. Because in big moments, he did lose to Bobby Knight there in the final. 87, Keith Smart, the jump shot. But it was close. It wasn't as if he's got his doors blown off. Same for Patino on that loaded Kentucky team with Antoine Walker and Walter McCarty and Ron Mercer. And go down the list. Had a million NBA players on that team. So for Beheim, all the best in the next chapter of his life. An illustrious and storied career. And now let's see where Syracuse goes. We're going to have to wait until the fall to find out. But you're not going to see the pseudo bald head. Hate to say that. I'm sure if he was standing next to me, he'd probably want to wring my neck. But the spectacles, just the presence that he had there patrolling that bench, you won't see ever again. And speaking of patrolling the bench, who knows what's going to happen with the Georgetown Hoya coach. And we all know that's the one Patrick Ewing. They got blown out by Villanova yesterday. Two of the worst years you could possibly have. Especially coming off of an NCAA tournament. Which they got blown out by Colorado. But a nice run to win a Big East tournament two years ago. And ever since that moment. Georgetown basketball has been at the bottom. Of the college basketball garbage can. I hate to say it. Because I'm a Georgetown Hoya fan. And it's not all Ewing's fault. Ewing, do I even need to go through his resume and what he means to Georgetown? But this is going to be very tricky. I'm sure this is going to be a mutual thing. There's no way that the AD or the administration could look at Patrick Ewing and say, we're going to have to let you go. I'm sure it's going to be a meeting of the minds. If it hasn't taken place already late in the night, last night after that loss, or at some point this morning or into the weekend, It's either going to be one more year or this is it. And it's sad because anytime you have a player who is symbolic of that school and what they mean to that school. Just think of Chris Mullen a few years ago when he had the St. John's job and you knew as much as there was a little bit of a buzz and some excitement in this town, New York City, for Mullen to come back. But how did that turn out? That's not to say he can never show his face in New York City or on campus ever again, but it does come with a little bit of a, eh, bad taste in your mouth. And this is a scenario where Georgetown is going to have to face the facts and Ewing on whether or not they should move forward. And one more time, it's not all his fault. And I'm not saying that to be an apologist. But as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, when it comes to recruiting, even in the D.C. area, which we all know is a hotbed for players, Just think of Kevin Durant. It's the first guy that comes to mind. But you also have to understand that you're competing against the Blue Bloods of the country. And it's very difficult to do so when you know that 
when you have a guy like John Calipari who's going to come into your living room to recruit your kid or Patrick Ewing, and we understand Patrick Ewing may have a little bit more pull because of who he was, but no. Calipari, as we all know, he is not going to go as far as saying he's a used car salesman because he's not, but we know he's a great recruiter. Where Ewing, yes, he could talk about, this is what I did at Georgetown, here's my championship ring, we made it to three Final Fours, but as we all know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And that's not to say Kentucky's been winning championships left and right over the last decade, but they've been to Final Fours. They've had success where Georgetown, other than that little run a couple years ago in a conference championship week, they have nothing. The last time they made it to a Final Four was when John Thompson's son, the third, got there where they lost to Greg Oden in Ohio State and they beat North Carolina in the regional final. 2007. 16 years. So it's not as if Georgetown, they've been hanging up banners here over the course of the last 20 plus years or so. So the kid's going to say, I'm going to Kentucky. I'm going to Duke. I'm going to Carolina. I'm going to Kansas. I'm going to a school that I know I could possibly win and then go to the NBA. Not Georgetown where I'm going to have to stick around for a couple of years in order for the team to build up some continuity. As we know, the sport is a hell of a lot different than what it was back in the 90s and even early 2000s. I mean, think about this before I move on. You're a slam dunk champion in the NBA. I understand it doesn't mean much in this day and age. But Mac McClung was at Georgetown. And he was a guy that was highly touted. And surprisingly, that Georgetown was able to recruit him. And what happened? Because of the transfer portal and everything that's gone on, he went to Texas Tech and became an afterthought. Now, granted, he didn't have a great career at Georgetown. He had his moments. But he wasn't a guy that was lighting up the scoreboard and decided that, uh uh-uh, I don't want to be a one-man band anymore. I want to go elsewhere. But that's how it is. And this is what you have to deal with when you are Georgetown and you're not a mainstay year in, year out when it comes to making the tournament, making runs in the tournament, and playing for championships or Final Fours in the process. And with Ewing, I think it's going to come down to a mutual thing. I don't think the administration is going to have the heart to fire him. And I think Ewing would probably step down before that happens. But uh, again, it's going to be a meeting in the minds. Is it going to happen? I wouldn't be surprised. If they give him one more year, all right, what players are going to come in next year in order for this team to improve? It's going to be the same scenario. So I would not be surprised if Ewing just decides to call it a career and hand it off to the next person and only hope for the best. And that's all I could say about Ewing's current situation and his possible future. Other than that, the college basketball, like I said, not a lot has happened or taken place as far as upsets or things of that nature that we have to keep ourselves abreast or on the radar when it comes to teams that are on the bubble making the tournament. That, I'm sure, come tonight, tomorrow, and obviously Saturday and Sunday is when we're all going to see it shake down with the selection process there Sunday night, and we'll talk about it come Monday on the next podcast. Now, to stick with basketball, to go to the pros... It's been very quiet over the past couple of days, and it's interesting because prior to last night, I even thought to myself, what am I going to discuss? Am I going to talk about Milwaukee playing at Golden State on Saturday night in the ABC Saturday Showcase? Or the Knicks in LA over the weekend where they'll play the Clippers Saturday afternoon and the Lakers Sunday night? Well, this just in, Kevin Durant 
in preparation for his first game at home as a member of the Phoenix Suns during warm-ups, was going for a layup, and he turned his ankle to the point where he's going to have an MRI today, and all of Phoenix and the state of Arizona are currently collecting their breaths to see what the outcome is going to be as far as his health goes, because if he's going to be out for any significant amount of time, now they're going to make it to the playoffs. That is going to be a slam dunk. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But just like I've said, and check all the receipts, all you got to do is go back to the last two or three podcasts. It was contingent on this man staying healthy in order for them to win a title, and I did not, I repeat, underline, did not think that this was going to be a championship team, especially if you're going to have a scenario where Durant's going to miss more time or is going to be in and out of the lineup. And as it is right now, for him to have to go get an MRI, he may be out for a couple of weeks. Now, I don't know that. That's just speculation. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm not in the room with these guys. So, an MRI? It's not like it was just a simple tweak where it's like, all right, he's just going to rest for a couple of days. He'll ice it, get some treatment, etc. It's an MRI. And we know about the leg injuries, whether it's his knee, whether it's his Achilles. I understand it's his ankle. It's different. But when you have the mileage that he's had and the injury history over the last few years, and I can't stress it enough, and this is what I've been saying, and hopefully this will be the last time I say it, but that's why I think we have to pump the brakes on the championship parade route for the Suns winning a title because unless you're going to guarantee Kevin Durant being in the lineup day in and day out from now until the end of June, then all bets are off. But as we all know, life doesn't work that way. And as it is, who knows how much time he's going to be out. Now, if there is a plus, if he's going to be out, let's say, for arguably two to four weeks, which will lead us to April 9th, and that will be the conclusion of the regular season. So now he could gear for the playoffs, you could ease him in, they're probably going to be anywhere between four and seven, maybe they drop down to the playing tournament, I'll say four and six, just to be safe. And then you can kind of ease them in. But now you got to ramp them up, get it together. And again, who knows? Maybe the MRI comes back and he's going to be out for a week or it's day-to-day. We don't know that. But I got to think worst-case scenario, and this is just based on what has happened with his body betraying him here over the last three, four years. And I'm not wishing any ill will on the guy. I like Durant, great player, all-time great. Who doesn't want to see him out in the court? But this is what we've seen here, obviously locally when he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets, and now as he was on the mend, back in the lineup, they were 3-0 with him on the court, and now as he gets ready for his first home game, whoop, and now he may be out for an extended period of time. So I don't know, we're going to have to monitor it, we're going to have to wait and see. So KD, hopefully it's nothing too serious. I know that would be a huge blow to the Suns. But we're just going to have to wait it out and see what the prognosis will be for Kevin Durant's ankle. And then you have a scenario with Luka Doncic with his thigh saying that it's not good or not very good when it comes to his health. And with Doncic, we already know that the team has not played well here throughout this stretch. And he is also set to have an MRI on his thigh. I believe it's his left one where he injured it against New Orleans in a game which they lost. And I believe they're now 3-7 and seven since Kyrie in the trade since he's been in the lineup. So, Luka, if he's going to be out for any significant amount of time, that's also 
going to be an issue for the Mavs as they're just trying to hang on to that sixth seed. They do not want to get into a scenario where they drop down any further to the point where they're going to be a playing scenario. Now, if both Luka and Kyrie are healthy, you would think that would bode well for them to get out of that playing tournament. But as we speak, they're currently tied for seventh with Minnesota. And they're only a game and a half ahead of the Lakers who have now put themselves into the playing tournament mix. And still without LeBron James. So we'll have to see how the Lakers play from here on out. But with Phoenix currently at four, which I think they'll be fine. I said four to six because you have Golden State and the Clippers. They're both tied as far as games behind the Suns in the Western Conference both three games back, but the Warriors are 34 and 32, where the Clippers are 35 and 33. So Golden State has two games in hand to the Clippers. And then you have both Minnesota and Dallas, 34 and 33. So you have those four teams separated by just a half a game. But these injuries are going to be key out West because not to say that Dallas could go on a deep run. We saw them go to a Western Conference final last year. But obviously, if Luke is going to be compromised at any point between now and into the postseason it's going to be curtains for the Mavericks not so much for the Suns because they do have Booker they do have Aiton and even an aging Chris Paul but obviously you throw Durant in the mix they go from a team that could win a round or two to potentially going to a final and winning it then you also have the scenario with the Grizzlies where we talked about this on Monday with John Morant how he's going to miss four more games and with him being out, they've actually lost three in a row to where Sacramento's now in second place, although both tied with the same record, 38-26. and 26. But now Sacramento looks like they could take control of the two-seed with Morant being out. And I can't even believe Sacramento Kings and a two-seed in the same sentence. Well, when you wake up this morning, that's what you have. So let's see how Memphis plays. As we talked about on Monday, if you missed that podcast, I opened up with Morant. That whole scenario with the gun and the Instagram video and how the coach and how that team is pretty much at a crossroads with their season knowing that they have to put it together. We're really going to see what this team is all about as far as their makeup, as far as their maturity because we know it's immature whether it's on the court, even off the court as I detailed. So you definitely want to peep that if you can. So that's also another storyline that we can look at here as we head into the weekend and beyond. Other than that, that's what I have there with the association. I know the Celtics finally got in the win column there, beating the Trailblazers last night. And they're currently three in the loss behind the Bucks and two. But that race is still yet to be determined as, although the Bucks have played well, they've won now, what, 18 of 19. And they're on a West Coast trip themselves. As I mentioned, they're going to play in Golden State on Saturday. But the association... It's pretty much mellow, pretty much quiet, and we'll see how everything shakes down here over the weekend as we get to the next podcast on Monday. Before I get to the NFL, and there's quite a bit to discuss there, I want to lace up the skates and go through the NHL real quick because tonight you have a matchup, and I get it. Regular season matchups in the NHL do not mean much, or a lot of people don't really care. They just want to get to April, start the Stanley Cup playoffs, and away we go. But you do have a very interesting matchup tonight in Boston where you have the league's best player by far and the MVP, and he's going to win back-to-back MVPs in one Connor McDavid as Edmonton visits the Bruins tonight. And as we all know, the Bruins, best team in the sport. We talked about it 
a zillion times over. If you listen to the podcast week in, week out, twice a week, etc., I'm sure you're sick to your stomach. Oh, here goes Jay Reels again. And trust me, I'm not going to talk about the Bruins. I just want to talk about McDavid going into that building to play those guys. And it's not the old Boston Garden as it was back pre-1995. But I would love to see how this is going to play out because Edmonton, as we've seen over time, despite the fact that they have the league's best player, they are certainly in a fight out in the Pacific with Vegas, the Kings, as well as Seattle, as they're all separated by four points. Those four teams, Edmonton's at the bottom of that at 78 points, Seattle at 80, and both the Kings and Golden Knights at 82 So this is a pivotal stretch run for Edmonton, who has 17 games left to go in their season. And currently, they do have a good scenario with the wild card because, as I detailed on Monday, the wild card out west is pretty much down to four teams. Edmonton currently has a seven-point lead over Calgary, who are four points behind the Winnipeg Jets. Edmonton, Winnipeg have the two wild card spots. And again, separated by four points. In each scenario, Edmonton, or excuse me, three points with Edmonton and Winnipeg, 78-75, and then Winnipeg, 75-71. You want to lump in Nashville, who are two points behind Calgary. But I would think Edmonton should be, I'm not going to say cruise control, but they should have a smooth landing to make it into the postseason. And with them being on an East Coast trip, they were in Buffalo the other night where McDavid had two goals, and now has eclipsed his all-time career point total in a regular season. He currently has 124 points, the highest of his career, and still has 17 games to go, so he could probably reach 140 points when it's all said and done. So having McDavid go to Boston, I think, would be a game that could be on people's radar, knowing that, yes, there's a ton of college basketball to watch, whatever NBA you want to get into. I don't know what's being played as far as the World Baseball Classic or a lot of the exhibition games, of course, are played during the day. But if there's something you want to watch tonight, and even if hockey is not in your wheelhouse, that would be a game I would want to turn on to see how McDavid is going to do against the league's best team. So that's something that I'll put on your radar to maybe watch and maybe get a breakdown of that when we talk about it on Monday. Besides that, I know Minnesota won a big game there, beating Winnipeg yesterday on the road where Minnesota and Winnipeg They are not necessarily neck and neck. We know that the Wild currently at 81 points tied with the Dallas Stars there in the Central Division. So that's going to be a fight to the finish to see who has the one seed there. And then in the East, it's pretty much the same as we move it along with Carolina and the Devils, Toronto and Tampa. Now Ryan O'Reilly is going to be out for a few more weeks. He has a broken finger that he suffered a couple of days ago. The earliest he could return is March 29th, but we're going to have to wait and see as O'Reilly, we talked about his trade coming to Toronto, being a guy from St. Louis who has a cup pedigree, who scored a hat-trick in his first game there as a member of the Maple Leafs. So we know that he's going to be a key component down the stretch and into April to see how far the Maple Leafs can finally go in a postseason as I've talked about that ad nauseum. But NHL is pretty much the same. Islanders and Penguins have the top two wildcard spots. Islanders at 74, Penguins 73, and then you have the Panthers at 70, followed by Ottawa, Buffalo, 
Washington at 68, and then the Red Wings at 67, if you want to include them. So they're all within a good distance to try to catch either the Islanders or Penguins. So we'll see what happens there. And in fact, the Penguins this weekend, I believe the Rangers play in Pittsburgh. I think it's Sunday. But the Penguins have back-to-back games over the weekend. In fact, they have Philadelphia going to Pittsburgh in an ABC game there on Saturday. And then the Rangers will show up in Pittsburgh Sunday. Both nationally televised games. As I mentioned, ABC 3.30 on Saturday. And then Sunday, a TNT game. In fact, you have the Red Wings and Bruins in a home-and-home. Also nationally televised. Where the first game on ABC, 1 o'clock Detroit at Boston... And then you have Boston at Detroit at 1.30 TNT. So you have quite a bit of hockey to watch, especially if you don't have the center ice package. So if you want to get into what the Bruins are doing and everything that I've discussed here over the last God knows how many months, you'll get a bird's eye view right there in your living room, depending on what part of the country you live in. If it's going to be a little chilly, I know there's going to be a storm heading this way in the Northeast Friday into Saturday. So if you want to cozy up, to some hockey to start off your weekend. You could certainly do that. And that's pretty much your NHL here as we're getting closer to the middle of the month and toward the back end of this regular season. Now, as far as the NFL goes, you've had some movement here over the last couple of days. Not really movement, but you've had some re-signings with teams before I get to the bigger story. Geno Smith stays with Seattle three years, $105 million. And then Daniel Jones gets a four-year extension for $160 million. Are these guys overpaid? A thousand percent. But we understand that that's the going rate and that's the market for a competent starting quarterback in the NFL. So think about this. If I had a little bit of mobility and decent arm strength and, all right, maybe not the best accuracy, but I can make $30 million a year playing quarterback in the National Football League. That's what it boils down to. And as I said on Monday, I believe, quarterbacks are like starting pitchers. They're going to be at a premium. They're going to be paid the most. Look at Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Just those two as an example. Both making $43 million a year. Well, that's what the quarterback's going to get. And God bless them. Good for them. We understand that Daniel Jones is the guy that they had to sign coming off of a very good year. Not a great year. Solid year. But he's going to get paid that amount of money and Saquon is going to get the franchise tag. I'm sure he's not going to like it. And unfortunately for him, the timing wasn't great because let's say if he was the only guy that they could pretty much sign and they probably would have thrown the franchise tag at him as it is. But you just got to grin and bear it if you're Saquon and hopefully have a monster year to where maybe next year you'll get the extension and the big bucks that you deserve. So you have those two scenarios and then... The bigger one being Lamar Jackson. And this is where I have to get on the front office. Their GM, Eric DaCosta. Didn't they say a couple of weeks ago, or whatever it was, 10 days ago at the Combine, saying that we love Lamar, we want him back, and of course he's going to say that, I understand that. A thousand percent. But if you're in love with your quarterback, And yes, I understand he did not finish the last two seasons due to injury. And we're not privy to what goes on behind closed doors. We don't know what's going on in that locker room, 
in those back offices, in the bowels of MNC Bank Stadium or wherever they train in their practice facility. I believe it's Owings Mills, Maryland. No, we do not know what goes on there. So we can speculate all we want. And that's one thing I'm not going to do here. But the one thing I will say is that if the front office is in love with this player, as they've said time after time after time, and I understand that there's an amount, there's a threshold, whatever that number is. And I'm sure Lamar is asking for the sun, moon, stars in the entire galaxy. And that's where the front office is going to have to take a back seat. But here's the problem that I have. If you love the quarterback so much, and you know that there's no other options that are out there, and I understand that you tendered a non-exclusive franchise tag, which leaves yourself open for another team a la Carolina, a la Atlanta, a la Houston, and I'm sure that's what they're hoping for because then they can get the two number one picks, and we know Houston has the second overall pick, but I would think Houston's a little bit smart to know that, uh uh-uh, we're not going to push all our chips to the middle of the table to bring in a guy that hasn't been healthy the last couple of years toward the end of the season. And yes, he did win an MVP, only has one playoff victory, and we're going to have to pay this guy a king's ransom and not have players or not have money to pay a lot of the other players, whether they're draft picks or free agents or things of that nature. They're not going to handcuff and hamstring their salary cap, putting all their eggs in that basket. So where does that leave you when it comes to teams? And we saw Derek Carr go to New Orleans, four years, $150 million. And I think in that scenario, not to digress, but he goes to a division that's terrible. And who knows, maybe the Saints by default, as of March 9th, they could be your NFC South champions, albeit at 7-10 and 10 or 8-9. and nine. But the front office here, although they put themselves in a position where It's a no-lose situation. But they're going to lose out here. Because what's going to happen is is that even if no team nibbles on acquiring Lamar Jackson, it gets themselves to a point where Lamar's going to hold out. He may pull a levy on Bell, even though if he signs it, he's going to get $32 million this coming season. There are not a lot of options out there. There are not a lot of teams that are going to clamor for him. And if you're quote-unquote in love with your quarterback and what he's done, then why not give him the money that, all right, he may be asking for $200 million guaranteed, but what about $190, $180? And this is the thing we don't know about what's gone on in that room. Because has Lamar turned down $200 million and he wants $230 million, a la Deshaun Watson? If that's the case, then shame on Lamar Jackson. But if it's a scenario where they're off by five or ten million dollars, then just pay him. What's the big deal? I can see if there's a huge disparity if the Ravens want to pay him 180 million and he's asking for 230, and 180 is their threshold. Then you could say, well, they must not be that much more in love with him because they're paying him or they want to give him 180 million guaranteed. But this is where. The front office needs to put out there, a la, I'm not going to go as far as saying what Brian Cashman did last year with Aaron Judge saying that we gave him $210 million. But you know what? They're going to need to save some face because right now it looks like the organization, for everything that they've said about their player, they're certainly not putting their money 
where their mouths are. And maybe it's time for them to do so, especially if there's going to be no takers, for them to say, this is what we offered Lamar, and then now it's up to Lamar to be like, oh no, now what do I do? Do I have to sign the franchise? Oh, do I have to come down on my price? Which you shouldn't have to. But now, it's that game of chicken to see who's going to blink first. And if it's a situation where the organization is going to have to protect themselves and even the fan base to know that, hey, this is what we offered him, and he didn't want to take it, and hopefully it's not a lowball offer. Again, if they offered him 160 and he asked for 230, then that looks bad on the organization because they got to come a little bit higher than that, considering what all these other players are making guaranteed. What is Kyler Murray making guaranteed? 180 million dollars. And what do you think Joe Burrow's going to make guaranteed when it's all said and done? And this is my point. This is where the front office is going to have to, I hate to say it and use this term, but they're going to have to show their ass. They're going to have to put it out there that this is what we've done. Obviously, they don't want to embarrass themselves if they've given them a lowball offer. Well, go as high up as you possibly can, and if he balks at that, then you can wash your hands. But until then, the organization's going to look bad, not the player. And it's bad enough that the player doesn't even have representation. It's just he and his mom. So this is a soap opera that I don't think is going to end anytime soon. And I'm far from a GM or an executive or anything like that. But there's got to come a point where the front office is going to have to speak. And they're going to have to say that, yes, we gave him a significant amount. As far as guaranteed money goes. And you don't have to give the exact figure. I'm sure the press will say, well, what is it? Is it in this ballpark, in this vicinity? All I have to do is say yes. They can say no comment. But if Lamar demands a trade, or if he holds out for the whole year, and the Ravens go 6-11, and and then in the following offseason, requests a trade, or at that point he may be even be a free agent because he'll be a fifth year and they could franchise him then, but then they're going to have to trade him. Who knows? All I can say is that this is not going to get any prettier and it's going to get even uglier, I think, than what it already is at this point. And one last thing. To put it on the player side, I get it. Lamar, nobody's going to put a microphone in his face and say or ask, how much have you asked for guaranteed? He's not going to relinquish that. He's going to hold his cards close to the vest, and rightfully so, and to a certain extent, yes, the organization, but again, I can't say it enough, for them to just throw bouquets at the feet of number eight, and then be silent after that, maybe they don't love him as much as they say they do, and with Lamar, obviously he wants his fair shake, fair deal, but who knows? It looks like this soap opera isn't going to end anytime soon. And quickly, I want to talk about this Amazon Prime. I got to get this off my chest. I posted this on my social media accounts. I'm sure you saw that Amazon Prime is going to stream that Black Friday game. And they're going to stream it for free. It's going to broadcast at 3 p.m. The schedule doesn't come out until, I believe, what, the second week of May? But... Here's another way for the NFL to shove these games down your throat. And everybody knows I detest that because it just waters down the sport. I mean, how many more games can you put, especially on that weekend, where you're, they're probably going to have to give you like Atlanta, Carolina or something. 
And I understand the NFL fan, they'll probably even take that. But remember, you're going to be in the latter third of the season. You're not going to get a marquee matchup on that day. Because as it is, you're going to have whomever's going to play in Detroit, which could not be a great game, we understand. The Dallas game, we understand that that's going to be a marquee game because it is the Cowboys and they're going to probably match up a good team against the Cowboys in that 4-15, 4-30 afternoon slot. Then the night game, NBC, you know that's going to be as close to a marquee game as you could get. You have the Sunday night game that NBC is going to have to follow up with at the end of the weekend. And then you have the Monday night game, which you know the NFL and the scheduling committee, they're going to try to give them a great game. And then we all know that this is the year, I believe they're going to start flexing games to Monday night, that if it's, let's say, I don't know, Denver at Kansas City and Denver's having another crappy year, that they're going to have to flex that game out. So what's going to be that Black Friday game? There's too many mouths to feed here when it comes to having a decent or even close to a five-star game that you could possibly have because you have to worry about the three games on Thanksgiving, Sunday night NBC, Monday night ESPN, obviously the whole slate on Sunday as it is. Oh, when does it stop? And that's why the NFL, I get it. Their content is king. It's appointment television. It's must-see TV. But there's so many games to watch and you got to have your head on a swivel that it gets sickening after a while. At least that's how I look at it. And as I mentioned the other day, you could put me in a room with 100 NFL fans and I'm sure it'll be myself and maybe two others that will come out of there on the minus side when it comes to having this Black Friday game or all these other games as opposed to just jumping up and down saying, hey, I got another game to watch on Black Friday while I'm eating or heating up my Thanksgiving leftovers. Me? No. I had three games on Thursday. I had enough. See you on Sunday. And one last thing, I didn't really look into this, but I'll just throw it out there. The whole Jalen Carter scenario last week with the his arrest and racing, reckless driving where he killed a teammate and a staff member. He returned to the combine following his arrest. How did that happen? And I understand he's a football player. He's a projected number one pick. Listen, not to say he had to be detained or whatever, but did he have to go back to the combine? And again, I didn't really read too much into it, so I'm not going to comment any further, but I was a little bit surprised by that, that he got arrested, turned himself in. I guess whatever story that was said, I understand they're not going to lock him up and throw away the key just yet, but no, he went right back to the combine right after that. How does that happen? If that was a middling pick or a Mr. Irrelevant seventh-round pick, he would never see the light of day in Indianapolis to go back to the combine. But that's what happens when you're a projected number one overall pick in the NFL draft. You're going to get a little bit of a break or perks or whatever you want to call it. I kind of hate to close on that note because baseball, I got nothing really to discuss. I'm not going to get into these couple of games that have happened with the WBC way too early. And I even mentioned that on Monday that I'm not going to really go full bore until we get a little bit deeper. And mind you, the tournament's going to end on the 21st, which is two weeks from Tuesday. So let's see how the weekend plays out. If there's any buzz, any excitement. Like I said, if it's Dominican versus the USA, I definitely got to watch that in a final. Or even if it's a semifinal, I don't know how the brackets break down. But as far as baseball, there really isn't much to add here as we get through this exhibition season. And think about this, three weeks. From today, 
the curtain rises on the baseball season. Not only are we inching much closer to a baseball season, we're inching closer to spring, even though it doesn't feel like that around these parts. And then just about 60 hours from now, we will turn the clocks up to extend those days where it'll get dark after 7. And then as the days click off from there, it'll get dark, 7.30, 8. You get to spring, you get to Memorial Day, and before you know it, we'll be rejoicing in playoff basketball, Stanley Cup playoffs, middle of a baseball season, golf, whatever other sport that's going to tickle your fancy as we get through the dog days of winter, if you want to call it that, and look forward to longer, brighter, and warmer days ahead. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for participating, being a part of this podcast, tuning in, listening to yours truly and what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. I thank you so much again for stopping by. And if you haven't done so, if you want to follow me on any of my socials, you could do so at the following. J Reels. YouTube, as I just put up a video yesterday, a little bit of a vlog, it's about a five and a half minute video, just thanking everybody as we celebrated the fifth anniversary of the podcast last Monday, so for those who want to peep that, please do so, my YouTube channel, at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number, or if you want to send me an email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com, questions, comments, suggestions, send them there, I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this endeavor, to the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment to make this experience into this microphone, through your earbuds and speakers, that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, informative, insightful, whatever it may be, because whether you do or do not know, This is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Sports, that is. I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. This is not only my future. This is my present, as I've been doing so for now 340 episodes. With fire, passion, fury, energy to discuss my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.